said an unconventional approach, but I wonder what you make of it. Of course, you're more than welcome to dial in on 011-714-2006. We'll have that conversation just after 9.30 on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. And on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio, the hashtag SAFM talking point. While getting straight into our thinking point then, there have been growing calls for South Africa to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a stance that, of course, South Africa has been very clear about. You would have heard uh, what Deco's, what Doko's, rather, Kaysen Munyela had to say on the show yesterday about this very issue, saying that there is an obsession uh, by people around this word condemn, and South Africa is more interested in a solution that leads towards dialogue and ending the conflict. So why is it that it seems to be difficult for South Africa to outright condemn Russia's actions? And is this a cause for concern? Richard Kelland is Associate Professor in Public Law at the University of Cape Town and also a political commentator. Professor Kelland, good morning to you and thanks for your time this morning. Yes, very good morning to you, Cathy. Um, you talk about what is a more nuanced approach or a more nuanced look that is required when trying to understand or even analyze South Africa's position on this conflict that is unfolding into Ukraine. Take us a bit more into what are some of the issues, the layers of issues that really direct why we see the responses that we do. So I think the West, and if I can use that expression, it does seem appropriate at the moment because you've got uh, countries of the global north um, led by Western powers such as France, the United Kingdom, Germany, and the United States seeking to build a global alliance that will isolate Vladimir Putin. And that, of course, led to the General Assembly resolution that was tabled earlier this week And South Africa's position, along with 34 other countries, was not to uh, reject the motion, but not to support it either, but to abstain. Why would they do that when, ostensibly, apparently, there is such an egregious breach of international law by an invading force, the Russian army, on behalf of its dictatorial, autocratic leader, Vladimir Putin? Why would South Africa not support that resolution, which was indeed condemning that invasion? And the answer is is complex. Uh, And as I've tried to argue in my piece in the Mail and Guardian uh, today, it's nuanced. And you can look at it from different perspectives. One perspective is to say, well, it's a a principled approach. It's South Africa saying we are non-aligned. We don't take sides. What we do is we support dialogue and a peace-building process. And that indeed is the view that's been expressed to me by senior, seasoned, diplomats within Durka. That is their driving motor. Secondly, a more practical one, what will work in this case? And they believe that the resolution on Tuesday uh, would, in fact, push Putin into a corner. It would make him more belligerent and violent rather than less belligerent. And thirdly, there is a completely different scenario playing here, which is around interests. And it's often said that in foreign policy, there are only interests and no friends. And what are South Africa's underlying interests here? Western countries don't seem to understand that South Africa is not a, obviously a member of NATO. It's not a European country. It's a, it's a country that's in the global south. And it has multiple different relationships and alliances with, with different 
partners around the world, including the European Union, but also including China and to some extent Russia. And of course, the BRICS organization is relevant to that, perhaps. And, and, and there's a, a final scenario, Cathy, which must be put on the table, unfortunately, which is a different one altogether, which is around corruption and the extent to which Vladimir Putin has pursued uh, an interference agenda over the last 10 to 20 years in which he has meddled in the internal domestic political affairs of, of numerous countries. There's evidence of that, plenty of evidence, including evidence that he meddled with South African political affairs. He essentially bribed Jacob Zuma. He uh, uh, induced uh, uh, Zuma's support for a nuclear bill project that was unaffordable and which in the end was stopped by the courts. And there is some suggestion that, uh, that, that Putin has funded the ANC, and that may also be a contributing factor. Whether it is directly, if that is true, directly influencing foreign policy, the position that the South African government has taken in, in the United Nations, I, I don't know, and I prefer not to think that it is the case. I believe that those seasoned diplomatic professionals that I referred to earlier have set out their store based on principle and based on their long-held view around how uh, political dialogue should operate at international level. The problem, mm. lastly, is that that stance now has uh, provoked a great deal of frustration and dis dismay globally from, from the, uh, the Western-led alliance, which wants to see Putin isolated, and there's hope that South Africa would join that uh, alliance against Putin. And it's precisely, you know, this observation that you have made around uh, um, our uh, our senior officials within the Department of International Relations who you describe as one having been consistent over the years and also having refused to bow to quote-unquote populist Western pressure um, that perhaps they may be under, and it reflects both professional and, uh, professional discipline rather and principle. So, so effectively, Professor Calland, if I'm hearing you clearly, you are saying that how South Africa is responding to this moment, number one, is not unsurprising and is not out of turn with perhaps what we should have done. That's right, exactly. And, and you see, Western diplomats, both in Pretoria and in their capital cities in Europe and in the United States, I think expected South Africa to see this uh, in black and white moral terms as, as right and wrong, as Putin committing a, an egregious uh, transgression of international law. And, and expected AFCON, based of its based of its principles of, of ethics and human rights, to to fall into line. But the more nuanced position is partly that long-held view that dialogue is is important, and that dialogue or supporting dialogue in peace building requires neutrality or non-alignment. Um, but also, secondly, context, and and part of the context here, and I haven't mentioned this, and it should be mentioned is a, is a recognition from countries like South Africa and other countries in the global south that Western powers are often very inconsistent and often even hypocritical in the way in which they deploy principles of international law. So, for example, they expect uh, a united stand against uh, Russia in relation to the invasion of Ukraine, but they're not willing to summon the collective action and, and unity in the case of, for example, the Yemen or in Palestine, when Israel breaks, uh, breaks international law and, 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 and um, perpetrates acts of, of incursion and violence on, on Palestinian uh, territories. So that inconsistency and hypocrisy in Western 
superpowers then provokes in, in global South countries, 35 of them who abstained uh, on Tuesday, a sense of um, concern and also a sense of, of not wishing to be um, uh, taken for granted, not, not wish to be assumed that they will fall into line with those Western powers when those Western powers require their support. And I think that is a respectable position. What's been put back to me uh, is that this is a sea change, that what's happening in Ukraine is resetting or is going to reset the global political order, and that it's such an important moment that foreign policymakers across the globe have to be nimble in responding to that sea change and have to adapt their, their principles and their approach. And that if they fail to do so, then they'll not only be on the wrong side of history, as it were, but will also then uh, find themselves um, probably, in, in some sense, excluded from, from a new order that emerges. I, I, that remains to be seen. It's a highly controversial and debatable point. Mm-hmm. But I think what's been said to me by European friends uh, in particular is that South Africa is missing the moment. It's failing to see what exactly is happening on the ground. And, of course, there is a breach of sovereignty here. And, and the, the explanatory uh, memo that South Africa issued on, on Tuesday night after the vote in the General Assembly sought to, to add uh, some words in relation to sovereignty and territorial integrity, very much in line with China's statement. Sure. And, and that is an advance. It does therefore show that South Africa understands that Ukraine's sovereignty and ter- in, in, uh, territorial integrity has been uh, breached. Professor Kelland, uh, I'm going to continue just uh, briefly with you after the latest 9.30 news headlines. We continue the conversation on the talking point, and very briefly I'll be taking your calls on 011-714-2006. Of course, uh, you're free to talk about some of the issues that we've put on the agenda or raise any other matter, really. We're still in conversation for our thinking point with Professor Richard Kelland, and we're trying to uh, understand perhaps a bit more deeply why it is that South Africa has taken the position that it has on this uh, Ukraine conflict. Uh, Professor Kelland, there's the issue about, you you talk about the resolution that uh, was put together by the UN General Assembly and why it is um, that South Africa abstained from that vote. Yesterday, Clayson Munyela spoke about the fact that there seems to be an obsession with this word condemn. And it was primarily one of the reasons why South Africa did not uh, support that re- that resolution. Is it unreasonable to expect that South Africa would condemn Russia's actions, um, given, again, this context that you have given us about our foreign policy positions over the years? I think this goes to the heart of the matter. Uh, to, to, to my mind, uh, I engaging with, with foreign policy makers in South Africa, I was trying to suggest that it was possible to do both, i.e. to, on the one hand, call for political dialogue, but to call for respect for the United Nations Charter, uh, in, uh, sovereignty and uh, territorial integrity, and to use UN institutions to promote uh, peaceful negotiation and uh, peaceful outcomes, and at the same time, in parallel, to condemn what is clearly a breach of sovereignty and clearly uh, a transgression of international law by Putin and Putin's Russian army. And and the pushback from that was, no, you can't, because if you're serious about political dialogue, if you're serious about uh, promoting that kind of uh, peaceful uh, process, peacemaking process, you can't take sides. 
uh, and by condemning you are, of course, taking sides. Now, <clears throat> many people will um, rightly, or at least justifiably, say, well, no, this is an issue of, of moral clarity, where there is a, a clear wrong being committed. And to not condemn that wrong is, is effectively moral cowardice. So that's the debate, Cathy. And, and it's really a, a, a debate between kind of sophisticated foreign policy making attitudes on the one hand versus mm. kind of moral clarity and, and certainty and absolutism even on the other. And you can take your pick between them. Um, is it possible to do both? I thought so, maybe yes, but, but difficult to do perhaps in, in practice. And indeed, you know, it's worth noting that it was not just one or two countries that abstained on Tuesday, it was 35 countries, including India and China. Uh, and, and approximately 20 other uh, African countries. And I think that reflects the fact that in the context uh, globally is of great suspicion towards Western powers. Sort of, mm. As I said before, a real concern that they are uh, guilty of selective justice, and that they apply principles of international law when it suits their interests, but not when it suits others' interests. And I think that is part of the backdrop. And, of course, Western diplomats find that very hard to to grasp. They, they see this as, as black and white. They see this as a, a grave breach of international law. They see Putin as a very dangerous uh, dictator and someone who needs to be isolated and defeated. Um, South Africa finds itself uh, appearing to appease that uh, dictator. And it, of course, it's curious that South Africa finds itself apparently not taking the sides, but refusing certainly to condemn uh, the actions of Putin, who you know, cannot be a friend of South Africa in terms of our constitutional principles. He is a dictator, he's an anti-democrat, he meddles in international affairs, he meddles in the, in the domestic politics of other countries. We know that. And yet something somewhere kicks within the, the body politic of South Africa to say, no, we must, uh, we must not condemn. And just finally then, Professor Kelland, you know, this idea that the world order is being reshaped in this moment, when we look at South Africa's position, again, in, in moments of, of flux, is it not wise to to stick to kind of what you've always done um, and wait for, for the situation to settle a bit? Or, or do you have different ideas uh, just beyond uh, the moment where that, that you've spoken about, about South Africa perhaps misreading the moment? Do you have different ideas on how else um, the country could have responded? Well, that's a brilliant question, Jackie. And, and, and again, it goes to the heart of the dilemma. Um, on the one hand, uh, principle and consistency are, are great attributes in, in policymaking, especially in diplomacy, perhaps. Um, but equally, um, history tells us one has to be able to spot the moment. One has to be able to detect when there is a seismic sea change and when, and when the, the circumstances on the ground call for an, an adjustment of policy or a shift in position. And that's very delicate, and it's, of course, very difficult to see at the moment. Uh, and it requires a policymaker's extraordinary antennae, uh, wisdom, uh, and the ability to, to have that kind of strategic foresight. So we're asking a lot of, of our diplomats, but that's uh, entirely appropriate. This is a very brave uh, situation. It could escalate. It is escalating. It could escalate to the point where, where the whole world is drawn in in one way or another. And so, therefore, it does affect us all. Uh, and it's not a faraway war in a faraway country. It is a mm. potentially global war. So, therefore, um, that kind of uh, flexibility of thinking, nimbleness of thinking is required. But 
not losing sight of those underlying principles, which I would argue in defense of Durko, uh, have been the central tenets of South African policy making on the farm stage for two decades now. Richard Kelland, let me thank you so much for your time. Associate Professor in Public Law at the University of Cape Town and a political commentator. Uh, thanks for coming on to the show. And I think, you know, the analysis that Professor Kelland is giving us today is very much in line uh, with what um, Clayson Maniela was saying yesterday when it comes to why uh, South Africa has formulated the position um, that it has, that they are being consistent with what they have always done. And uh, historically, the positions that they have taken, they've effectively been 